0: I really want to acknowledge you because I think about what my life would have been like if I had been driving to work and I had heard people like me on a podcast. Mm.
1: It's time to listen to The Masters, Episode 115. <music> What's going on? This is Katie Kramitzos. I'm your host of Biz Women Rock. This is the place where you will hear really inspirational and really honest stories from businesswomen who have great journeys to share so that your business can truly be touched by it. My guest today is DC Cordova. And to be honest with you, I don't even know if I have the words to describe her. She is absolutely amazing. Um, She has Money in You, which is a giant global workshop and seminar series all about business and money and um, really started the industry of entrepreneurial education. And just to give you a hint at how powerful her school has been, Some of the most notable people that have gone and graduated have been Robert Kiyosaki, Tony Robbins, Jack Canfield, folks who came and learned what she was teaching in that system and then went and put it to use for their own good. She's huge in social entrepreneurialism and allowing your business to really impact and make social change, which all of those people that I have mentioned before have done very powerfully. She was actually business partners with Robert Kiyosaki. And what this actually turns into is an entire philosophical conversation about money and business and living one's passion and spirituality. Um, just, I mean, absolutely amazing. Your mind will be blown. I promise you that. Now, cool little treat for you is that at the very end in the outro, I'm going to give you the pre recorded conversation that we had that will answer the question what does dc actually stand for in dc cordova i never knew and i couldn't find it anywhere so it is here for you waiting at the end of this interview i will also let you know that this interview is a little longer than our normal you know 30 35 minutes um just want to make you aware of that i i didn't want to stop i I just really wanted to, to continue chatting and bringing out this really great information and i really believe all of it is so valuable so i just want to give you the heads up if you need to listen to it in two parts that's good but I want you to be able to have access to this whole story. It's really great. So let's get rolling with it. DC, thank you so much for being on the show, girl. I really appreciate you being here.
0: Oh, I am so happy. I'm ready for you.
1: We we had to finally like press the record button because, my goodness, we were just chatting it up the whole time before. <laughs> You're a very good conversationalist. Um, I am so excited to have you here. Um, it is truly an honor have, you have so much experience in the business space as a businesswoman, I mean, your whole life. And there's a great story behind that, that I'm so, so excited to share. So can you, you um, were born in Chile, can you give a little bit of a background, you know, as to a little bit about your upbringing?
0: Oh, sure. Yes, I was born in Santiago, Chile, and my family and well, it was such a beautiful country it was very much like a tribe you know in my neighborhood if you needed a babysitter you literally your parents yelled out the window and said who's going to take care of Dorisita tonight (laughs) and somebody would say she can spend the night over here and that was it there were no no formal arrangements and you know your mother knew your teachers my mother was a beautician so my teacher went to her beauty salon you know we went to the beach uh for three months in the summer to the south of Chile, and so I grew up by the beach, and so it was very, very connected, and then my mom married a gentleman that had lost all his family money and uh, decided at come to the U.S. because in the early 60s the U.S. had a a calling for immigrants and so I left my beautiful neighborhood and came to the U.S. when I was 12 and it was quite traumatizing. It was not a nice experience for me.
1: Where did you move to?
0: We moved to Los Angeles and it was a nice little neighborhood. I did like I did like my neighbors. It was nice. But what was tough was school because in Chile and other countries have very advanced education. So when I went into, they, we came in February, so they put me at the tail end of the sixth grade. And I had already graduated in December in Chile. And, you know, I was looking at taking French and English as two second languages. We were already moving into ge- uh, geometry and um in, uh, you know, um, world history and world geography. And then they put me in the sixth grade. That was like a third grade. Mm-hmm. And my brain just kind of, you know, melted a little bit because I didn't have equals. I mean, people were just not that sharp. They could hardly write, could hardly read. And so it was so fascinating now that I know so much about environment. So I it was traumatizing. But then, you know, you adjust and I became an L.A teenager, and, uh, you know, kind of hung out, and it was a cute little thing that, you know, had a lot of friends and things, and uh, pretty much, you know, I got taken out, though, pretty hard in, in uh, when I was 18 years old, in my last semester of high school, I was going to be married, in those days, you got married at 18, okay, mm-hmm, yep. <laughs> and um, this is the 60s, And I pretty much uh, was going to be married in April. And on March 27th, uh, my beloved was uh, killed in a car accident. Oh, wow. And it was so sad, so traumatizing. And and some spiritual things happened around it, some mystical things that that I remember he had never done this before. The moment before he left, uh, he left in this car with his friends. He turned around and waved goodbye. He had never done that. And I remember having a very sick feeling in my stomach about that. And of course, that was the last time I saw him. But out of that, and then I miscarried his baby on his birthday on July seventeenth. And what, what happened, though, was that I shut down my heart so much, became a workaholic, had some more things that occur in those days, in the early 70s. A lot of people were dying of, you know, drug overdose, Vietnam, suicides, accidents, so i had 14 friends in 3 years very young all my age that left this world and i just wow. kept yeah that just kept confirming confirming you know that life was not safe and that i needed to take care of myself and but when i look back it was such a design on me growing up to doing what i grew, i ended up to doing and i went into the legal system so that i could feel safe I figured that if I was surrounded by cops, attorneys, and judges, I would be very safe. Well, it didn't quite work out that way because safety really comes from within. And I decided to move to Hawaii when I was 25 years old okay. because I was very, very sad. I was an unhappy, very beautiful with a lot of friends, lots of boyfriends, and just you know there was no understanding of why I could be so unhappy when i I made a lot of money, I had everything going for me, and it was it was literally uh, a spiritual challenge that I had, and I moved to Hawaii. I figured if I were going to be depressed, I might as well go to a beautiful place. no kidding, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like okay. Let's go to Maui. Let's go to the beaches. Good Let's go therapy. To Come on. surfing yeah. is very good therapy. <laughs> you get it. And I figured that would make me happy. And in, when I was 26 years old, I had a beautiful boyfriend, Bob Moon, that had, a, had been a, um, a pilot in the Air Force and was now had the most beautiful boat, yacht. It was a yacht, a Ranger 33, completely, fully stocked for racing. And I had uh, what would be called an epiphany, an enlightenment experience where I realized I really connected for the first time. My heart just opened after eight years and I connected with nature, with the great spirit, whatever you want to call it, and realized that I had been put on earth to do something much more than just be a party girl and to just be, not that being a court reporter, and I, by then I wanted to be a, uh, I wanted to grow up and be an attorney, and go to law school and all that, and, and then I realized that I was meant to do something else, and my whole life changed, and two years later I found what I have been doing now for 35 years, so it's a, it's a story that started out very tough, but ended out with a good ending.
1: I just, I love that you can really identify that moment where you kind of have that realization like, wow, I, wow, I meant for something more than this. Like I almost see that as just a, a, you know, the, the idea of actualization, self-actualization and really being kind of proactive about your life versus kind of just rolling with things. Um, you know, and I think that that, that either is super, very natural for some people or like there is this moment where you're like, Oh my gosh! So much more can happen. So I can do so much, and I can really have an impact. So that's a really powerful moment for a lot of people. What What did you do there? You know, like how did you get really clear on what you were supposed to do?
0: Well, I went searching, and I still talk about this. That there is a lot of market research that people don't do enough. I think that um, there's too many people that make decisions. Based on opinions as opposed to facts. And uh, I love, there's a politician that I love, uh, there was a politician that said, you are entitled to your own opinions, but not your own facts. And I like I that. Love- Yes, I really love that. You can probably Google and find out who said it. But I really believe that that's also a great way of living life. Because I also made a decision a long time ago. I learned from somebody, never, never make major decisions when you are emotional or when you are not sober in feelings because it's sobriety doesn't just it's not just a word for being sober from alcohol or drugs but it's also being sober emotionally and we can go into such a roller coaster and I and I have learned a long time ago that if I just sober up I just kind of quiet down I do my research and then go and find what is the best thing for me to do, then I can make a major decision. And that is something that is so powerful that I recommend to everyone, whether you're making a business decision or a personal decision. Even, even getting married or getting divorced or having children or starting a business, leaving your job, leaving your work, or it, it, just, just chill out a little bit. <laughs> and, and, and just kind of like really take a few deep breaths, you know, do a little sabbatical, do, do a little vacation on Maui, go sit and look at the ocean and, and, and breathe in what is it that you really want in your heart of hearts. And that alone will really make your life a lot happier.
1: So what did you discover along all of this research and a lot, a lot of the self-discovery?
0: Uh, one of the things that I discovered was that uh, what were my values and what where did I fit the best in regards to a profession. So I had a wonderful teacher by the name of Sandra Ray. And um, she she used to do this process of rebirthing, and uh, it is a very powerful way you get in touch with some of your decisions. Believe it or not, your birth really affects your life, and then later decisions that you make in life. And one of the things that I discover um, that there are things that I really love to do that can be monetized, and that is when you really can find a semblance of your life purpose, something that you can really love to do and that you enjoy doing. Like I was listening to one of your, um, one of one of the guests that you had in, in your show before I was listening to your shows. And I love this woman that, was his, she was a mother and she was young and she liked the photos and the and technology and she, her husband had a printing business and they did a combination of what she loved, what was wanted and needed, what they already had and now she's making all this money and being so successful and that, as you can see, the combination is of things that she loves, <clears throat> uh, something that she saw that she needed. And then something that she already had. So it's almost like a formula. But most people, they think too linearly. This is the challenge. I talk to young people all the time and my godchildren that the world is not two-dimensional. There are many aspects to life, and it's almost like a hologram. And when you begin to experience your life that way, then you come up with better solutions for your problems.
1: Oh, I love that. And that's so true because there is, there's never one way to look at things. There's never like a simple from A to B type of a solution. It's very, it, it is, it's very
0: multidimensional. And that comes from our educational system. So you see, one of my missions is to transform educational systems around the world and eradicate poverty and hunger. Um, in case you don't know who I am, I, I probably should introduce myself. <laughs>
1: We're getting we're getting the whole story and not getting the like the the cool bio give give that's really where I was going to go next is like, tell us about the business that you created and about, you know, how you really the vehicle that you created that allowed you to really live your purpose.
0: Yeah, and, and actually, it comes from that. I mean, it, it was a great introduction to my life to it really introduce my business. And one of the things that I did was I went researching what were uh, the different educational programs out there. And I got involved in that at the time, there was a program called EST. Did you ever hear EST or Landmark Education? Yes. Did you ever hear those? yes. So I did the predecessor to Landmark with Est, and Est was a personal development program that I still think was one of the best things that happened to me, because it really began to ask me some very powerful questions that I had never asked myself. But then I had this whole combination of business, because I had been now in the legal system at that time, approximately six years, seven years And I had another year to go. I ended up being in the legal system for eight years. First as an assistant legal secretary, an interpreter in the legal system in Los Angeles, then a court reporter. I was an official court reporter at the criminal courts building in downtown LA. And when I moved to Hawaii, I became an official court reporter in that system and then moved to Maui as the first official court reporter there so i had this whole background on business and systems and and watching people suing each other and so it was my it was literally the basics that i needed to understand in order for me to understand human beings because there were so many things i saw in the criminal court system and in the civil court systems that didn't make any sense to me. And I began to understand human beings in a different way, not in just the protected way that I had been braced in with my family and with my school and my friends. So what I ended up doing, I attended a business school for entrepreneurs because Sandra Ray had given me this list of things that I, what is the 10 things that you love what that you absolutely love and of course I put I love to love I love being in love who doesn't love being in love <laughs> especially when you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s the whole life <laughs> and people love love and then of course I put traveling education uh, driving my car listening to music uh, learning new subjects I, I had all these things that I listed in my top 10 things. And, and Sandra says, if you, if you have a profession that has at least six or seven of those, you will be one of the happiest people on the planet because you won't be working anymore. You will be playing. Mm-hmm. And that was so amazing for me to hear because even though I love being a court reporter, there were so many things I saw that I would go home crying. And I... Begin to look for a profession. And when I when I heard about the first business school for entrepreneurs of its kind, a school that was attempting to use left and right brain teaching techniques, and it was teaching you entrepreneurship in six weeks. And I had the money. I had already retired. I had all this money in the bank. And I always like to retire in style. I have retired three times in my life, and <laughs> always so that I can have enough to have a great life. And that was my first time. And what I did was I actually had this experience in the first business school for entrepreneurs that I ended up owning that business. I ended up working with them and through a series of circumstances, they uh, had a big financial learning experience. I saved the business. I ended up becoming a partner and then... By 1985, I actually ended up owning all the rights and and got a, a business partner by the name of Robert Kiyosaki, who had been attending our programs for five years, and he was one of my closest friends, and Robert Kiyosaki then, of course, became famous for the Rich Dad Poor Dad series, Right. and so he was my business partner for nine years, and out of that work came a program called Money and You, which ended up being a three-and-a-half-day experiential program where we take people and put them through 65% uh, experiential games and they have an opportunity to discover blocks that they may have, decisions that they have made, And so the program, even though it's a lot about money, about business, a lot is about the you part, because really, truly, you are the CEO of your life. And we ended up becoming huge. We were huge in North America, then in Asia Pacific, and first Australia, New Zealand, then Hong Kong, then Singapore, Malaysia, then Taiwan. And we're huge in China, Brunei, and now we're going to India and all of Latin America. So in in 35 years, we have over 100,000 graduates. And, uh, you know, some of the biggest names, I trained Tony Robbins when he was 23 years old, Jack, <laughs> Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen, who, you know, attended Money in You 1979 and created probably one of the biggest publishing stories with, you know, Chicken Soup for the Soul. I think they have 800 million books in that series that they have sold. They were graduates and not that we got them started, but, you know, they learned with us. We learned from them. But um, Harv Ecker, have you ever heard of Harv Ecker? Oh, yeah, yep. He was a student of ours for seven years, sat in my living room for about a week once. And once he decided that he wanted to create his own programs, he, his leading instructor is one of our, um, he was our leading instructors in training people, which we don't mind at all. And uh, pretty much have been churning out what we call social entrepreneurs, people that not only learn how to make a lot of money but our courses have a dimension of social responsibility which we learn from the great Buckminster Fuller. Do you know who he is? Mm
1: -hmm. Yes I do.
0: Okay so Bucky was someone that came to teach at our business school for five years until he passed on on July 1st 1983 and I had heard him when I was 27 years old before When I was on my research mode, and he was the first person that was able to explain to me, and to many, but I felt like he was talking to me personally, about scarcity, scarcity thinking on the planet. Then you have to move to sufficiency, and from sufficiency, then you can have abundance, but you can't have abundance without sufficiency. And it was then that I started my mission to eradicate poverty and hunger. And I became part of the Hunger Project. And even though I'm not actively working with them, I'm probably one of the greatest product of their work because I just took off with that. And so my mission is to transform educational systems around the world and eradicate poverty and hunger. And I am strategically, once you make a major decision, you kind of land in all the places you need to be to live your life purpose. And that's what I've been doing. And I've been playing ever since.
1: I love that. Uh, There are so many things in there that I want to dig into. And the first is, you know, there are many um, people out there who have really great information to share. They're so passionate about, you know, either their sort of system that they've discovered over their lives that could help people out. And they're going to put on workshops and seminars to help people do it. But you have done that In in a globe on a global scale. So what I'd really want to hone in on is how you did that from sort of being this, you know, kind of first seminar place that people would go to, to actually going and being in a uh, in so many different countries. And, and, you know, what did you have to do for creating that programming? Was that a process to really hone that down? And then what did you do to actually scale out so you could serve more and more people?
0: Um, and basically in our business school because I attended the first school and it's taught by masters and we have a, bi- a thing called the business success model which I'll talk about a little bit more later but the first step in really learning any new field or how to really empower yourself and take your business to a whole other level is by learning from masters which is what you're doing and congratulations because you are you are filling the next step of the business success model a niche out there which is for people to really learn from masters and and even though it looks like there's a lot of people out there that are teaching this actually they are not right. it's just that all of us hang out with each other so we think there's a lot but not in the real world yeah that's true yeah there's there's so many people that are learning wrong information so I had learned in court from all the cases and believe me when you are a court reporter and day in and day out and you have, for three years as you're studying, you're, you're learning cases. You're listening to cases for three years, day in and day out. Every day you're listening to these cases. What happened is that I found that there is these patterns of thinking that successful people have, and they're based on systems and this is the greatest secret to leverage, to becoming socially responsible, to becoming financially independent, to being wealthy beyond your dreams, and to creating results in life. You must have systems. So what 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 happened for me was that I began to to learn about systems from the masters. I volunteer, was a big volunteer in, in Est. Uh, for a, a few years and then I learned their registration enrollment systems and all that a little bit I didn't like the way they handle certain things as a matter of fact the way that that I ended up doing my programs were the total opposite of best isn't that they funny have, which is still
1: they, a good education right so you knew what you didn't want to do
0: Yes, like we had breaks every hour, hour and a half, and it was full with coffee and tea and snacks. <laughs> uh, we had music. I love music. We had, But that's also part of left and right brain teaching techniques, which is part of what we had learned. So what happened was that we set a system in place, but then you have three major areas that you must master. And I wish I had known this then, but you know, now we discover. You must know sales and marketing. People and organization, organization being organized, right? and money and finances. And if you're not good at any of those, then bring in to either be your partner or work with you or hire them as a consultant to give you the systems to put all those things in place. One of the greatest business books is called Good to Great by Jim Collins.
1: Love that book.
0: Oh, don't you just love that book? I mean, yeah. it's The Three Circles. Remember The Three Circles?
1: I don't. It's been like 10 years since I've read that. 12 years, I think. No, I yeah. don't even remember the, sa- the Circles. What are The Circles?
0: That book is 15, 18 years old. Yes. The Three Circles are, what do your customers rave about? What does, do your customers rave about you? The other one, what are you pa- are passionate about? And this relates to the question that you asked me. Which a lot of people don't have, the third circle, which is your economic engine. Mm. And here now we can go into a rabbit hole that we can talk for nine hours, <laughs> which is the deservability level of people and particularly women. You know, when you talk about a rock star, I've been called a rock star a few times. And I felt like a rock star when I was in China one time and they there were five thousand of our graduates, you know, and in one in in a theater and they were expecting this woman in her 50s you know and I and they they don't know me you know because I'm so leveraged they know who I am but they they don't know me and there's a great song that they that I love and I said to my team put on my favorite song I'm gonna go out dancing and they went (laughs) they said oh okay and so here they blast and it was just like a a concert they have this song and I come out dancing and 5,000 people stood up and started dancing with me that's great oh now I know why rock and rollers are so hooked I mean (laughs) your endorphins your your oxytoxins in your body as you're dancing with 5,000 people dancing with you anyway so I thought afterwards I said yes I am a rock star (laughs) Um, Anyway, just to come back and to finish my my thought. So this is really important for you to know that once you understand sales and marketing, people and organization, money and finances, and have an understanding of your deservability level of how much can you really accept in your life and money and being clear about money and finances, at this point, you can become a rock star.
1: Mm, I love that circling back to actually how that applies to you and building this business out, in the sales and marketing circle or, or pillar, really, how are you getting so many people to come to these events and to come to the seminars and to sign up for the school? Because, you oh. know, it, I mean, there, it's still even such a com- competitive space. I mean, everyone's vying for, hey, come to my thing. Look, at, I have this information. What, what were some of the techniques that you used oh. and still use that get people to show up?
0: Oh no! But you don't understand. We started the industry. We were the pioneers. There was nobody there. We when we went to Australia, nobody was. To, they were doing two little seminars. Most of the people in Australia right now are either graduates of Money and You or the business school. So I had to expand my model. I we completely started this industry. That's why when you go to Money You you will see a bunch of notables, a bunch of people in the industry, Laura Langermeyer, and yep. all the names that I already mentioned, and a bunch of other people and their money and new graduates. Well, many of them went on to create their own programs. But so what what we did at the time is very different than you can do now. But then I had to move into a business model of licensing. And that is where my wealth comes from. And that's where every business person, in order for you to become financially independent and possibly sell your business... You follow the business success model that I can share a link for you, with you at the end of the program. And they can go in and study with me for half an hour, 40 minutes, where I really go through the business success model. And what you have to do is you have to put systems in place and then be able to monetize that niche that you have and you have to go with the times. So my business in North America is very small. I, I I throw money in new programs in America for fun, but now we're having one in Cancun with new partners. But we're doing them in an exotic, faraway place. With you know, we have billionaires in the room. We have this amazing group of people coming. But that is something that I'm that I had to team up with Scape Artists, which is a, an organization that has a lot of people internationally Mm -hmm. and constantly through the years I have had to find new ways of expanding my markets of expanding the value of my business and expanding the way that I do business so if I told you right now what I did back in the 80s in order to fill the rooms is completely obsolete right but but my partner's that I license to in the Asia-Pacific region, they have systems in place that work for their particular markets. So in the United States, you are completely correct. It is so competitive. And unfortunately, in our industry, it was hijacked by some very interesting people that were not quite ethical and with the good heart that you have and many of your audience that has. Right. So the... Now people have to really differentiate themselves from the seminar industry because it is too aberrated. And and this is something that you need to know. Be willing to look at the facts as they are. This is not an opinion. I mean... I'm a co-founder of the Transformational Leadership Council. I'm in constant communication with the leaders in this industry. And everyone that is very successful has become global. They have a global market. You were talking in one of your shows that you're so excited. You have people from China. You have people from South America. Well, that's what's happening to you. That's why you are number one in all these areas. Because the world has become global, so I actually teach global entrepreneurship because that is where our market is using technology and being global.
1: Well, uh, throughout you know all of these years of, um, and and we're definitely going to go into kind of where some new stuff that you have going on, but. As the school was and has really evolved and grown and gotten bigger, and you're constantly thinking bigger and kind of expanding your mind, you know what? What have been some of the maybe tougher moments for you? Maybe one of those moments. Maybe highlight one of those moments that was just really tough. that yes. uh, was was really hard for you to get through. And how did you get through it?
0: Um, the biggest one is uh, not having clear rules of the game with my partners and having not having clear exit agreements. And it's so interesting because in the link that we're going to be giving, the second uh, educational video is going to be on rules of the game. My team asked me, what could be the top two or three things that you could teach people immediately that are the hardest things that you have, that you have gone through in your career? My, my team is very young. They're in their 20s and 30s. So they want to accelerate their process and they want to know, what can you teach me now that will really facilitate that? And it is clear rules of the game. What happens is that we fall in love with our products and we fall in love with our partners and with people that we think that we can grow our business with. And you throw out the window some of the most powerful principles. So there are... Rules of the game of business in the country, in the city, in the industry that you live in, you must know all of those, and then also globally. So how are you going to participate together? How are you going to play together? And then the exit agreement is literally a prenuptial agreement that if you're going to get a divorce, what's going to happen? who is going to take what, and you go all the way. When you are sober, when you're in love with someone, and when you're having the best time and you haven't had any challenges yet, you can speak of all these things because you're not activated. You're not plugged into that. You're not upset about it. So you can say, okay, if we decide not to work together anymore, what happens to the database? What happens to the products we created together? What happens with the clients? What happens with this and that? So when Robert Kiyosaki and I, we stopped working together after nine years, and we didn't stop working with each other because we were angry or hurt or upset, he actually was moving on to the field of uh investment now are you familiar with the cash flow quadrant yes
1: yes very Robert Kiyosaki the rich dad poor dad series was like my first introduction into anything finance like any financial freedom and business related it was like my first touch point with that
0: Well, for God's sake, you're talking to the girl that published his first book. I know. (laughs) If you want to be rich and happy, don't go to school. That was the foundation (laughs) for that book. And, you know, that's based on the teachings of Money and You and of Buckminster Fuller. Rich Dad, Poor Dad is is the work that Robert did with us for many years, and we knew that it was going to strike a chord. But anyway... The cash flow quadrant was taught to Kiyosaki and I from a gentleman by the name of Keith Cunningham. And if you remember, on one side there's employee and self-employed, and on the other side there's business and, and business owner. I mean, excuse me, business owner and investment. Right. But Kiyosaki and I went different ways. I went into entrepreneurial education and I'm a humanitarian. That's why my I have the title of dame. Right. Because I have been knighted because of my lifelong work to humanity. And he went on to work with uh, investments and he found Sharon Lecter, who he published you know, that whole series with. And remember, she was the systems publishing queen. Yep. So there was a combination, collaboration, which really show you how powerful when you get two people with very strong traits that, that can create, change a whole industry. So what happened is that when Kiyosaki and I decided not to work together anymore, We had very clear rules to the game and I owned the intellectual property. So he didn't fight me for it. There was nothing to fight over because it was very clear that he wanted to create his own intellectual property. I had inherited mine from the creators of it because believe it or not, and this is really important for you to know, I mean, not you, but I'm speaking to your audience (laughs) and you too, if you like. I'm listening. It's not how smart you are is how many smart people you surround yourself with. Be really smart about that. Look, you never want to be the smartest person in the room. You want to be one of the slowest one and surround yourself. When you look around, you go, that's a master at that. That's a master at that. That's when you know that you're really, really smart. See, I'm street smart. I grew up in LA. You know, I had friends that were killed by bad people. I had, you know, I worked in the criminal court system. I dated cops. Okay. I know what to do on the streets. And when you take that, when you take that street wisdom and actually Harv Ecker at one point, I think had a program like that at the beginning because he and I had this conversation about it because a long, long time ago, we talked about being street wise. And I think he called it streetwise business school or something. He was trying to copy us, but didn't work. But one of the things that occurs is that when you apply street smart to business, and this is where a lot of people think they have to be sophisticated, they have to have gone through business school and have to have degrees, that is not true at all. So when you apply those principles to your whatever field it is, at this point you're not putting in pure intelligence that you own And you surround yourself with masters in areas that you don't know. And that is how you get out of the challenges. And the biggest challenge I had with future partners, including my next partner, whom I was also married to. I married a man, and we also were business partners. We didn't clarify. We did clarify the, the rules of the game, but we didn't clarify completely the exit agreement Mm. and when he hit and he was already involved with another woman that I actually had encouraged him to do it's not it wasn't that he left me for another woman nothing like that he was a very faithful man it was way past it was about a year a year and a half after we had separated and we clearly were going to be divorced when another element came in that's when it got bad and it was like, that was one of the biggest learning experience. That one hit me hard. That one cost me a million bucks. Wow. And so, and that's real money. That's not made up money. That is not lost money. That's real money that was accounted for. And, and it was also the financial crisis of Asia. That's another story. But it was a combination of me not having clear exit agreement. And when I look back to my legal education, and all those years in court, that is what people thought about. Because one person has one reality, the other one has the other reality. And if everybody looks right now that's listening, looks at a big upset in their lives right now, you will find that it's around this area.
1: Right. Can you talk now a little bit about the solar and renewable energy project that you're, that you're working on? That's very, very exciting.
0: How did, how did you come across that? Oh, oh! thank you. That is so exciting. Uh, basically, uh, one of my partners, his name is Wilson Lin, uh, we've been partners for 15 years. He created, he has one of the most successful training companies for business, experiential business in China. And um, so I go to China a lot and we are churning out social entrepreneurs. This is where I become a good news bear. Okay, I bring good news from China. There's a lot of people that are learning from us and others on how to do business in a way that doesn't hurt the environment, doesn't hurt people. So the, the, sometimes people don't have an accurate uh, experience of the Chinese that I have from being there for so many years. About eight years ago, he spoke. He's, he's very wealthy, my partner, and he gets invited to speak in major audiences, major stages in all around the world. He he met a gentleman by the name of Wang Ming. And Wang Ming is a man who introduced the first green law in China and created the first solar valley of its kind. Wow. And, and um, if people go to accelerated.com and spell E-X-C-E-L-L-E-R-A-T-E-D.com, it's a combination of excellence and accelerated. Accelerated. He, you will find a lot of information about him, but basically he, uh, he created, he lives in a city that has 7 million people and 70% of them use solar renewable energy wow. and he created a solar city. So he was introduced to us and you know how, when you meet people that you know, that you have known your whole life,
1: Yes,
0: it's almost like a pod, you know, they, like Like my partner, Wilson, fell in love with Wang Ming. And then when we met Wang Ming, I was like, oh, my God, I know this person. And we have been friends for about eight years. And we, I began to. He had never heard of Buckminster Fuller. He flipped out when he saw the diagrams. I said, if you had been born after July 1st, 1983, I promise you I would have thought, even though I don't know if there is reincarnation, I would have thought that you were a reincarnation of Buckminster Fuller. Buck, Mr. <laughs> Fuller would live in your property. And pretty much what we ended up doing, I became a global ambassador for him and I began to speak of him and his valley and And we did a webinar with him. I I began to introduce him to people because I am a... One of my jobs is to be a communicator and a connector of good things. And I want people to know that there's a lot of really good Chinese people in the world that are doing magnificent work. He's one of the top ones. He won a Nobel Prize for thermal energy, which gets given in the same venue as the regular Nobel Prize. And he pretty much... Um, He will probably win a Nobel Prize for Peace in in the future because of what he has done for renewable energy. And in March, I was introducing him to someone new. Long story short, he asked me to open up the North American or the Americas, all of the Americas branch for him. And every part of my being said yes, and my brain said no. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Because are you kidding? I, I am wanting to do humanitarian work. I'm finally in a place in my life where I'm youthful. I'm happy. I take all the time. I can do what I want. And you know, everything is leverage. Of course not. I'm not going to do another business. And it was like, <laughs> my heart says, yes, yes, yes. And we literally negotiated in five minutes. And because my heart is a continuation of the work of Buck, Mr. Fuller. And then this is when, and this is, everyone that is listening needs to know this. When you make a decision like that, that's when the seas part. That's when your intelligence goes to the roof. That's when miracles occur. Because as soon as I say yes, my beingness change. Just, I just was asked to write the foreword for a book called Be, Do, Have, Be More, Have More, uh, Do More, Have More, which is something that I've been living for many, many years. And... This is truly what occurs is that you become much more intelligent, much more resourceful. And what I have learned since March to now, and I'm applying the very same principles that I applied to build my business, my, you know, transformational educational business, i now applying to renewable energy. So once you learn the patterns of thinking and patterns of success – you can apply it to any business. So if your business goes out of style, mine didn't, but if yours does, then you can apply what you already learned. Nobody can take away knowledge, wisdom, information in your head, and you can start again and do it a lot faster.
1: Um, DC, talk a little bit about what you're, what you're really excited about. I know so much of your energy is going into this pro- project. Um, about what you're excited about and about like the vision. Talk about a little bit about that.
0: Well, I am excited about that we have a whole new generation of people that are saying no to things that have gotten us in trouble. I hear that there is this young people on Wall Street that refuse to sell any kind of products or services that will hurt anyone or the environment. That is so cool. I mean, you probably saw it in 60 Minutes. There was a group that actually of literally socially responsible young kids that created a whole new, their own Wall Street almost, where they trade a trading system that is separate from the regular one and how successful they're becoming. I'm excited about that. Young people are see that we really can hurt the environment that we are one little spaceship that we can't just you know destroy the environment, do fracking and and, and not notice some of my young friends just saw it say don't they know that sandy in the east coast that storm was the the game changer they can't really see that and I said no they can't Mm. because they want to see things differently but that was a major game changer that that was only the beginning Buckminster Fuller predicted that so I'm excited that young people are coming up with solutions and that then I want to empower them and then the combination of my education because renewable energy has been around for 40 years but has been a failure because if not, everyone would be using renewable energy. So by 2050, uh, pretty much oil will be completely obsolete. So renewable energy has started picking up speed at great speed in the last five years and possibly six years So in the next 10, 20 years, it's going to shift. And by 30 years from now, it will be completely different. And that is very good news for the planet.
1: Well, DC, you have um, done a very, very nice favor and actually said that you had a gift for everyone. Um, Can you talk a little bit about where that is and where people can go to get that?
0: So the link you want to go to is moneyandyou.com forward slash rock. And you'll have an opportunity to go ahead and download some of the videos that I have done in educational videos, one uh, speaking in depth about the rules of the game, and then the other one on, uh, of course, the business success model. So go ahead and go to moneyandyou.com. Biz, women, rock.
1: Well, listen, DC, I really want to thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, It was truly an honor to hear so much about your story and um, all the great things that you're doing. It's just very
0: inspiring. So thank you so much. Thank you for what you're doing. And I really want to wish all the men and women out there listening and particularly young women that are up and coming and becoming mega entrepreneurs. You know, it's not an easy road, but it's worth it. If you take the easy road, it becomes the hard road. If you take the hard road, it becomes the easy road. And have a beautiful life. Aloha, as we say in Hawaii.
1: The only words that I can use to explain that experience with DC was just that it was very invigorating and very refreshing. And I was almost in this lull of listening. Like she cooed me into this lull of listening to this great story and philosophy that she was really talking about. There were so many great pieces to that story. But I think what I loved the most as an overall takeaway was really um, that she owns who she is as far as her passions Her um, spirituality, you know, what she's done to educate herself to to continue building herself and self-actualizing and, you know, these partnerships and these leverage opportunities. I mean, it was just it's all one giant package right there. That's what I really enjoyed about her. And she was so gracious and very, very humble. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm going to give you the little hint after this music goes. You will hear the explanation as to what DC actually stands for. It's a good story. See you on the next episode.
0: What does DC stand for? Doris Carmen. My name is Doris del Carmen Cordova Michelle. Um. So, um, long story, when I came to this country, a short story, I was called Doris my whole life, and I when I was 12, we came here, and they called me Doris.
1: Yeah, <laughs> not this, nearly as sexy in an American accent, right? <laughs>
0: oh, my God, I was so traumatized, so by the time I was 21, uh, my boyfriend, who's still my best friend, John Marina, he says, hey, Doris, and I went, oh. <laughs> And he goes, you hate that name, don't you? And I said, I hate that name so much. He says, that's it. He says, Doris
1: is beautiful. Beautiful that's initials. Muy huh? Muy linda, Doris.
0: Doris. Oh, he, nice. says, he says, oh, that's it. You have the most beautiful initials from today on. Your name is DC. And I wow. said, call me anything but Doris. And my friends <laughs> loved it. My friends all started calling me DC. And uh, it's stuck. And, uh, but I haven't dared to change it. I still have my mom. You know, and yep. my mom, I said one time, I'm thinking about changing my name either to DC or to spell it like Doris D-O-R-E-E-C-E. Oh, yeah. She, said, she says, over my dead body. You're <laughs> dead. I'm dead.
1: And I said, okay. Not going to happen, right?